my name is Kelsey on Rec Staff. You're listening to week one of Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker for week one was Curtis Zachary, and we had 4,705 students in attendance. Enjoy! Is he worthy? He is. I love that song because it so simply states the very thing that we have come to be about for these days together here at Falls Creek. This mystery that we've been investigating together has been so beautiful and so wonderful, but it also has been challenging some of our hearts to begin to ask questions that maybe we've been ready to ask but not really sure if we want to. We've been kind of looking at places within ourselves that we might not have been paying attention to but are ready to start asking God to show us about ourselves. This mystery of the goodness of the gospel, what we have determined together and have stated clearly is that at the center of what we are searching for is the star of the show, Jesus. We are fixing our eyes on him and asking him as we look to him that he would guide us through this mystery and show us where he wants us to be while we're here on earth. Today there was such a beautiful chance for all of us to hear about how all throughout the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, there were all these clues that were pointing to the Savior, to the Messiah that would come. We started to see clearly that Jesus doesn't just show up in the book of Matthew. Jesus was there from the beginning. And what we know to be true is that all of those clues that have been dropped along the path for us are pointing to the hope that we have that maybe, just maybe, there is a Savior that didn't just save way back then, but can save our souls right now in 2019. That's our hope together. There's a verse that was beautifully read earlier in the service right before we began singing. They read this verse from John chapter 5 and the verse says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus right here was talking to a group of people who had been so set on their own understanding of how the whole system worked. These people thought they knew the best about how they could be godly and how they could live in the right way. Jesus shows up on the scene and even to Jesus' face, these people are saying, we know the best, we know the way, we are the ones who understand how to find God. The reason that they felt this way was they thought they understood what they knew of at that time as the Bible so well. They knew the scriptures so good that they knew how to interpret them even better than Jesus. 
See, what happens sometimes is we think in our own understanding the way that we can find life in God is to be good people, doing good things for other people, and working really hard to show how much we know about God. But we don't find salvation in things that we do for God. We only find salvation in Christ. Now this is where it starts getting good because Jesus knew that at that time and even today, some of us would get so stuck on the idea that it's up to us to work really hard to be good enough to stand before God. But Jesus came so that we would understand that salvation would only be found in him and him alone. Right here, what he said to them was, you're reading the scriptures thinking that just by reading the Bible you're going to find salvation. Don't you realize that all of the words in the Bible are talking about me as the Savior? See, this is actually really good news because if it's left up to you and me, and I know definitely me because I know myself, there is no hope that I have to be able to be good enough to earn my way to God. But I have a hope, a living hope, as we sang about tonight, that Jesus Christ is the one who can give me the hope that I long for in my heart. It is through his work that I find life. So tonight what I want to do is tell a story that I think many of us have heard before. Many of us have read this story. You may have heard someone talk about this story. What's interesting is this story is actually even well known to people who don't spend time in church or read the Bible. This story is kind of one of those stories that even seeps into culture from time to time. This is a story that was referenced yesterday in some wonderful teaching right on this stage. It's a story that we know simply as the story of the prodigal son. Anybody ever heard this story before, the story of the prodigal son? This is a story that many of us have heard at least a little bit of. There's this young kid who goes away and does crazy stuff, comes back and is celebrated because he returns. Well, I want to do a little bit of work together tonight. Reading this story and seeing what God wants us to see about himself, maybe in a way that we've never seen before. Because the story of the prodigal son, as we like to call it, actually has a different star than the one that we usually give credit to. So Jesus, let me just set it up real quick. Jesus is the one who tells this story. Jesus is the one who's standing in front of a group of people who are very assured in their understanding of the right way to live out life for God. It's this group of people who are saying, we know the best. We know who the people are who are worthy to be godly. We know the people who are good enough to get into the kingdom. We're the ones who will make the decision. Jesus says, all right, well, let me tell you a story real quick. <laughs> This story brings hope to our lives because if you've ever been wondering, this is going to be your answer to this question. Who 
is worthy of receiving salvation. Who is the type of person, what kind of life needs to be lived so that you can find salvation in Jesus? And I'm going to go ahead and give you a little spoiler alert. You're going to like the answer here because all of us come from different places. All of us have different stories, but we share a hope in Jesus. And this is the story that he told. He says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. He said, there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two. Now there's something right here that's really important. We usually hear this story called the story of the prodigal sons. But right here, right out of the gate, Jesus lets us know that it's not just about one son, but how many? Two sons. There's a man that has two sons. And then it says this. The younger of them said this to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far-off country. And there he squandered or wasted his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Let's stop right there because that story escalated pretty quickly right there. we got to go back to the beginning. There's a man. He has two sons. The younger son is the one that we're dealing with in this part of the conversation. Now this is what you need to know. This man is a man who has some money. And his sons are expecting an inheritance. You guys know what an inheritance is, right? When the father passes away, there will be money that is given to the kiddos. So the younger son rolls up on his dad and he says, listen, I have a good idea of what I want to do with my inheritance, I don't want to wait until later on to get my share of the inheritance. I want to go ahead and take my inheritance right now. Now you may be listening to this and automatically understanding what is true about this story, which is what this younger son is doing is so disrespectful that you can't even begin to imagine what is true about this culture during the time of this story in first century is for a young man to go to his father and say, I want what's coming to me after you die. It's basically like he's saying, I don't care about a relationship with you at all. All I want is what you can give me. So rather than have a relationship with you and wait until then, I don't care whether or not you live or die. I just want the inheritance. I'm going to go and I'm going to spend it right now the way that I think that I should. Could you imagine how heartbreaking this was for this younger son to tell his father, I want what's coming to me after you are gone. But it says right here in the story that the father graciously 
splits the inheritance. Half is still reserved for the older brother. He gives the younger son his money, and the younger son takes it, goes on a journey to a far-off country, and he starts spending the money. And it says in the story that the way he spends this money is reckless. He is just spending money like it's never going to run out. He is using this money for crazy living to fulfill all of his own desires. Everything that he wants to do, he can do it because he has all of the money, all of the decision-making power. He has left his father's house. He is doing his own thing, and he is having what he thinks is the time of his life. But then what we see in the story is that he spends the money so recklessly that he eventually reaches in his pocket and realizes nothing is in there at all. And he's broke. On top of that, it says that a famine hits the land. So even if this dude wanted to go pick some fruit off a tree, there's not even any fruit growing around. He can't go pick some wheat out of the ground. He can't get vegetation from what is growing because all of the vegetation is dead. It is barren. There is no food to be found. He is broke. He is hungry. And now you got to believe that he is scared. So what we see is in this short little set of verses, a young man who had everything he needed in his father's house, deciding that he knew better how to spend his father's money and how to live his life apart from his father's care. And he goes, he wastes the money, and now he's afraid. Look at what it says in verse 15. Right in this situation where he is broke, it says he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So not only does this young man who had what he needed because his father was providing for him decided to go out and do his own thing. He lived recklessly, wasted all of his money, was broke, scared, and hungry, decided to get a job because he was desperate. The only job he could find was with some dude that he didn't know who gave him a job feeding pigs. Now that is a real fall from grace, right? This dude is feeding pigs for a living. Not only that, it says in the story, this dude's so hungry, he's feeding the pigs. And as he's throwing the food out to the pigs, he's saying, I wish I could eat the pig food. Imagine going from a place where you have everything you need. You are covered. You are cared for. Now all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're in a pig pen ready to eat pig slop for dinner. This man has fallen from a place where he had everything he needed, decided to do things his own way, and now is desperate for hope. So let's keep reading the story and see what happens. In verse 17, it says this. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. All right, there's a lot in here and so we got to stop for a minute. The very first line of the verse we just read was, when he came to himself. What that means is, he finally realized what kind of situation he was in. He done realized how he done messed up, right? He came to himself. He's sitting in a situation where he's broke, hungry, scared, desperate, far away from home. And he comes to his senses and he says this, how crazy is it? That my father, way back at home, has people who are servants in the house that are living better than me, who is his son. I'm way over here trying to eat pig food. My dad is back over there with servants that are living better than me. Something has to change. So you know what the young man does? He comes up with a plan. Now let me ask you this. How many of y'all ever been in trouble and you knew that you were in a bad way, and so you decided, I got to come up with a plan. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Maybe not you guys, because you guys are super spiritual and stuff. But for me, I've been there before, right? And you're in a situation where you're going, man, I know I messed up. I know I'm in a bad situation. I don't know what I'm going to do. So the young man says, this is what I'm going to do. And he starts to come up with a plan. Now, this is why the plan is really a big deal. Because the young son knows this. He has no right to go back home. You see, in this culture, for the young man to do what he did to his dad was basically him saying, I am cutting myself off from the family. I am going to do my own thing, and I don't care what you say about it. So do you know what happens back at home? In the house, they are supposed to say, the son is no longer welcome here. In the village where he lives, guess what they say? He's no longer welcome here. So everybody knows what's happened, and everybody knows that he's not welcome back. So they will keep him from returning. So this young man who has no hope has to come up with a plan. But his plan is like a Hail Mary at the end of the game. I'm throwing this bad boy, hoping that just somehow, if I could just go back and get a job working for my dad, that would be better than where I am right now. So this is a really important fact to remember. There are three points to the plan. Everybody say three. No, one more time. Say three. There are three points to this plan. We need to remember that there are three points to this plan because when we see how this story unfolds, that number three is really going to matter. The first thing he says in his plan is this. I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to start out with point number one. I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned before you. That's point number one. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell him, I know I messed up before God and I know I messed up before you. Everybody say, duh. 
Everybody knows this already, man, but he knows he has to say it. He knows that this is the first point. He has to say, I'm the one who messed up. This is all my fault. Then he goes into point number two. Point number two is this. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everybody say, duh. <laughs> he is stating the obvious right here. He knows that when he goes back home, he has no hope because he's been cut off that he will be a son again. So he is stating the obvious, but he knows he has to say it. And here's really where we get to the meat of this plan. Here's where he comes up with the idea that he thinks will cut through everything. It's point number three. Point number three is the young man's idea of how he's going to get back in the house. He knows he messed up. He knows he did wrong. He knows he's a sinner. He knows that he got everything off. And what he is saying right here in point number three is this is how I'm going to fix the situation. This is what he says in point number three. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What he comes up with as a plan is to say, let me work to earn a place in your house. This is really important. So point number one, he says, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Point number two, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And point number three, treat me as a hired servant. Let me work to earn my way back in. So now he's talking through the plan. He's convincing himself of the plan. And he's ready to make a move to see if he can change his situation. Let's see how the story unfolds. So in verse 20, it says... Something that is so powerful and so beautiful. And friends, I think we're going to remember from this night on, Luke 15, verse 20. There's a lot of people who will ask me because of what I get to do, what's your favorite Bible verse? Many times my answer is going to be this one right here, Luke 15, 20. This right here is going to be a game changer. This story as you're listening to, doesn't really seem like there's a lot of hope in it. This story clearly has someone who has messed up and knows that they've messed up. This story has someone at the center who has no hope and no thought of a good future. But in Luke 15, 20, things start to change. In Luke 15, 20, it says this. The young man arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. <laughs> now, real quick, let me just pause because I want to remind you. Jesus is the one who's telling this story. Jesus is talking to a group of people who were trying to understand who are the ones who are worthy to be rescued? Who are the ones that are worthy to have their sins forgiven? Let's jump back into the story. The young man who is a sinner starts to make his way back home. He's probably rehearsing his plan. He's talking through his little mantra, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Let me work for you. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And he's walking 
walking back toward his house. And what it says in verse 20 is so powerful. It says, while the son was a long way off, his father saw him. Now let me ask you this question. Did the father have any reason to think that the son was going to come back? No. Of course not. The father thinks that the son took the money and ran. He is going to live his life out until he is content. But yet, even though the father doesn't have any reason to think that the son is coming back, he loves his son so much that he's waiting out on the porch to see if he does anyway. Do you see that he sees him from a long way off? So what that means is he's not in the house. He is out waiting for his son because he loves him. Then it says that he sees the son. And it says that he runs to him, embraces him, and kisses him. Now remember, this sinner's son... This son who has done so much that everybody knows his reputation now. This son which has cut off his relationship with his father. This son who has done dirt and has done things that everybody thinks is despicable. This son has been working in pig slop. He probably stinks. He's probably dirty. But the father runs to him. Now remember... The village didn't want this dude coming back, so the father running is a pretty big deal. He's running because he knows he needs to get to the son before the rest of the people tell him to scram, right? He says, I have to get to my son. The other thing that's true about this running that he does is really interesting. If you study the culture, you realize that for a man of importance or prominence to run in this culture was kind of seen as like childish, right? Like why would this man run? Why would he run through the village? Only children run. So if a man were to run, a man who is important would be running around, everybody would look and go, oh, well, that man has lost all of his importance, all of his dignity, right? But he doesn't care what anybody says about him. All he knows is I see my son and I want my son. And he runs to him and then it says that he embraces him and he kisses him. Now, this is really important to see. How much of the plan has the son shared with his dad so far? Zero much. That's exactly right. He hasn't said anything yet, but his father loves him so much that he sees the son returning and he runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him. But the son's got a plan, right? You've worked on your plan before, so you know when you work on a plan, I'm going to use this plan, right? So the younger son came up with a plan. Even though the father's hugging him and kissing him and probably laughing and crying and celebrating with him, he kind of pushes back a little bit and he goes into his speech. Now, real important, how many points are there in the plan? Three. Everybody say three. So let's see how this unfolds. In verse 21, the son launches into the plan and he says, point number one, father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned before you. Point number two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you remember what point number three was? 
Point number three was, treat me like one of your hired servants. Let me work to earn your love. So he gets point number one out. He gets point number two out. He's taking a deep breath to say point number three, but look at what happens. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Did he get point number three out? No. He got point number one out. He got point number two out. But before the son could say, let me work to earn your love, the father interrupts and says, wait, let me do some things first. First he says, bring me the best robe. Now let me ask you this. Whose robe do you think is the best robe in the father's house? The father's robe. Are you ready for this? (laughs) The father's robe is brought out. And the father wraps the robe around his son. Do you know what this means? Everybody in the watching world who was probably gathering around at this scene was looking at the son and they saw the son as a sinner. They saw the son as one who messed up. They saw the son as one who had a reputation. They saw the son as one who disrespected the city. The son messed up and they saw him in his mess up. But now the father gets his robe and he wraps his robe around his son. Guess what that means? When they look at the son, they no longer see the son. They see the robe of the father. The robe of the father is wrapped around the son and his identity, which used to be sinful and shameful and dirty, is now covered with the love of the father. Then it says, put a ring on his finger. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it, right? He says, put a ring on his finger. Why is this important? Well, in this day, they probably had this thing called a signet ring. And a signet ring would show what family you're from. So he gets the robe wrapped around him. And as he gets the robe wrapped around him, it's really beautiful. And it's noble. And he is saying, I love my son. But not only does he just wrap him with the robe, he puts this ring on his finger. And when he puts the ring on his finger, what it's saying is, you're not only welcome back with an embrace, you are now fully restored as my son. Because that ring represents the family name. So put that ring on his finger because my son is my son again. Now, number three, it says they brought him some shoes. Now, you might be wondering, why are the shoes important? Well, in my research and in my study, I discovered slaves were barefoot. Sons wore shoes. So what that means is this is the capper, friends. This is the final piece. This son has returned, and he had no hope of becoming welcomed back into the family again. But yet because of the father's love, because of the father's grace, because the father accepted him in, he has been restored. You know what that means? It wasn't about his work. It wasn't about whether or not he deserved it. It was about him believing that if he came to his father, his father would be the one who does the rescuing. 
Why is this important? This is important because I know that there are people in this room right now that have felt just like the younger son. There are people in this room who have felt like my life has been too messed up. There are too many things that I've done that could never allow me a place in the kingdom of God. I know that you say that this God is all loving. I know that you say that this God has grace, but you have no idea about the life that I've lived. What I want to tell you right now is that your rescue is not about whether or not you're clean enough to be accepted back in. Your rescue is about you saying, yes, Father, I believe you can rescue me. And when the Father welcomes the Son back in, he says, it's time to throw a party because my Son was dead and now he's alive. We have talked about how apart from God we have no life. But in Christ we have a brand new life. This is the thing I want us to know about tonight. Tonight there is a place in our lives where we are wrestling with whether or not we believe that this could be possible. You remember Jesus was telling this story to a group of people, and this group of people would not have guessed that this kind of younger son would be the one that was able to be rescued. And what Jesus was trying to tell them in telling this story is you cannot earn your way into the kingdom. All you have to do is believe that I can rescue you and come to me. There's a word called repentance. You ever heard this word before? This word repentance, many of us know this as the definition. To be going in one direction, to stop, and to turn, and to go in the other direction. That's what it means to repent. To be headed in one way, stop, turn, and go the other way. Well, what's so beautiful about what God is telling us through this story is that the younger son repented. He was going in a different direction than what his father wanted. He stopped and he returned to his father. But guess what? Repentance is a beautiful thing. But guess who gets all the credit when repentance happens? It's not the one who repents. It's the one who does the rescuing. Jesus is the one who saves us. We don't save ourselves. When we stop and we turn, we do the thing that we can do. But when we come back to God, we need to allow him to embrace us and kiss us and tell us that life is new again. This is what it means for you tonight. Your job in all of this is to Understand that in the reality of your life where you felt like there was no way that you could ever be forgiven, where you felt like there was no way that your sin could ever allow you into a relationship with God, what I'm telling you right now is this. Our job is to confess with our mouths that Jesus is indeed the one who can rescue us and to believe in our heart that he died on a cross, was buried, and rose again from the grave. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we can be rescued. Tonight what you have the beautiful opportunity to do 
is to stop holding on. Stop hiding behind the things that you are trying to keep secret. Stop trying to push down all of the stuff that you're trying to hold on to. Stop fighting the impulse that you know you desire to go to a God who can love and save you. It's time for us to finally repent, to stop and to turn and return to our Father and trust that he can pick us up and bring us back home. Let's close our eyes. Why don't you all stand up with me as well? Just like last night, we want to take a minute. And we're going to take a minute to process and think through what we've heard tonight. Because this is the thing I feel so strongly in my heart. That I know there is someone who has heard these words tonight and said, this is me. This is me. This is me. I've gone my own way. I've tried to live my life on my own. I thought I had the better plan. I thought I could figure it out. I thought I could find satisfaction in other things. I thought I could go and be happy in relationships and substances. I thought I could do the things that I want to do and find fulfillment. I thought that I could do this on my own. But I know that there is a God who desires to rescue me. He wants me to come back home. And he wants to accept me as a son and a daughter. He wants me to return to him. There's someone here tonight that is saying, I've felt so dirty. I felt so lonely. I felt like there was no way that I could ever be accepted by God. I feel like I'm cut off from everything. I feel like the only hope I've had is to try to figure this out on my own. And I know that tonight somebody is saying, but now I realize that Jesus is like the running father. He is the one who wants to run to me and embrace me and kiss me. He wants to rescue me. Tonight, you're saying, I need to return to my father. You're saying for the first time, I believe that Jesus is a rescuer. I believe that it's not about me earning it's about me believing. I believe it's about his salvation on the cross. It's not about me working to do. It's about me returning and allowing him to pick me up and bring me back home. So if that's you, and you're saying, I want to be rescued. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want a new life. I want to believe that Christ is my savior. I believe that tonight, he can rescue me. Now is your time. You've been waiting for this moment. You've been thinking about it, but now is your time. So as we begin to sing, I want you to come. And I want you to come forward and allow someone to pray with you. I want you to say yes to him. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you as my rescuer tonight. So as we sing, if you want to know Jesus, you come. Thanks for listening.